Today's episode is sponsored by Sparkloop. Sparkloop is the number one newsletter growth platform. I'm in the Sparkloop Partner Program, and within the first week, I saw my email list grow by over 12,000%. That's insane. Their newsletter growth strategies and options are the most affordable rates I have ever seen on the market. I'm no longer paying between $5 and $10 per acquired email through online ads. Now, I pay as little as $1 for warm emails that stay on my list and engaged for over 30 days. Everything is customizable in Sparkloop, and they will set you up with a team member to help you through the process. Head on over to calumbrecken.com forward slash Sparkloop for more details, or just click the link in the show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Business Gate Podcast, where we talk about all things business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Callum Brecken, and on today's episode, I have Matt Scullard, the president of Pink Media. Matt has been specializing in LGBTQ online marketing for over 25 years, and it all began in 1995 with the launch of GayWire.com, which became one of the top three LGBTQ websites worldwide. Having worked with companies large and small, he's now focused on the most cutting-edge global innovations in programmatic ad buying, social networking, and Web 2.0 technologies. Matt has supported the community in many ways through his career, including being a former board chairman of the International Gay and Lesbian Travel Association, and he served on the boards for Travel Gay Canada and the LA LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce. He is actively involved with key national LGBTQ organizations, including the National LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce, Out Professionals, and Lambda Legal, just to name a few. I'm excited to jump in and talk about the new face of media and how times have changed since Matt launched his first website. So let's jump in. All right, Matt, welcome to the show. How's it going? Fantastic. It's a, it's a, what is this? Is this Tuesday? Uh, today is Tuesday, but it's this a- episode is releasing, I think, around Christmas time. So you might be my Christmas holiday special. I'm just, I'm feeling it on this Tuesday. Usually on Tuesday, you're like, oh, I got the whole week ahead of me that I got. But, but somehow, I think it's because there's so much excitement because Christmas is around the corner. And uh, everybody tries to cram all their work into like this one week so that they can take off next week. And oh. This <laughs> week is busy, busy, exactly. busy for me. Oh, well. All right. So I want to jump right into it. You've been in the marketing world for a while, a hot minute, definitely for sure. So you've been, you've been around, you know, some things I want to know what does pink media and I love gay network do in today's market? Yeah. Well, I mean, in in the context, we did start almost 30 years ago in the, uh, when the internet was, you know, first coming along. So what we used to do back then was working with clients, you know, to promote themselves online. And and then along the way came banner ads and then email campaigns. But when I sold my company in 2006, um, I wanted to stay in the market and continue to do what I enjoyed best, which was really kind of coming up with a strategy, helping companies figure out how do I reach my target demographic on online? And so that's what we just kind of grew up with and could stay, uh, continue to do, which was, uh, you know, of course, even 2006, banner ads, email, but then all of a sudden this, MySpace started to come along and, you know, and, and so if you fast forward to today, it's all about social media outreach and, um, and uh, across all those different platforms and how different it all is, whether you're using video and photos. And we still do some of the traditional um, banners and even video placements on TVs. And we do all these things, but our core is really storytelling and getting the message out 
to folks online, uh, but primarily through social media. Yeah. And you mostly work in the LGBTQ space. So I'm really curious, what are kind of the big differences between LGBTQ and marketing kind of to the masses? Yeah. Well, it's just, um, in general, this it's, it's a strategy and, and, uh, almost all niche type of strategies nowadays kind of um, are very similar in that sense when you're when you're doing online marketing but for us it's all about kind of the relationships and the and especially with the way LinkedIn and other social media on that side which really which really leans on uh, personal relationships that we that we create online which gives us a real distinct advantage we believe when it comes to really staying true and focused to the LGBT community mm-hmm. I mean we could uh, we could say we can uh, we can do this across the board and various different markets probably make more money, but it, I wouldn't enjoy it as much, but also I don't think we'd be able to be our best. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, it, like we wanted to be the best at something. And so we picked something very specific and we've really focused on it for many, many years. And so uh, if we were more general, I think we would just be more like a Walmart trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't fit with the community because I, I, from my side, I've noticed that it can sometimes be a bit fickle navigating the lgbtq community because you have to niche down within that community as to like exactly who you're marketing to and what you're targeting how have you kind of navigated that road of you know picking and choosing how to market in that regard? yeah yeah no it just uh it's it's happened very organically um and um i would even segue in and say it's a um when you're doing social media marketing i believe it's all about being engaged to look at it as a two-way relationship back and forth. And so a lot of what you're talking about kind of comes out naturally when you are, uh, when you're engaged with folks that you, that you find interesting, that you like. And, and that's how, that's how we ended up working with influencers many years ago too, because influencers are out there and they've got this strong, especially on Instagram and, you know, they're much bigger than we are, but especially when we're on other social media, we're able to, we start, we start engaging with them. We start sharing their posts and their first thought is, who are you? And next thing you know, over a period of time, we become kind of online friends. And then even in the real world, when we meet, we become friends. And, uh, and, uh, that's, uh, that's just been kind of that one aspect of our business that's been able to kind of be part of the overall mix that's continued to grow, I think, based on what you're saying. Okay. So when social media became a thing, there was obviously a pivot that happened in your business that you're like, Oh, I see this happening over here. Yeah. Were you quick to jump on that? Or did you kind of hold back and go, okay, let's see where this is going. Yeah, no, it was pretty quick. Um, um, because, uh, because it was, re- it was, be- it was really becoming something. It wasn't, it wasn't something where we thought, well, let's see where this goes. You could really feel it, that it was coming together. But for people that know me, they got tired of me saying, um, I called it the front door and back door. And so, um, and you might think like, that's a little weird. Why would you say that? Um, the front door for advertising is always um, kind of the same. You know, it started even with print. I want to buy a quarter page ad. Then they come to you and say, I want to buy 100,000 banner ads, or I want to buy an email campaign. But they come through that front door and they want to buy advertising. And so your job is to kind of work with them on that. But the back door was this whole thing that started to really grow where they were coming in saying, well, I don't really know what I want, but I have a story to tell. And I, I want I want the right people to see it. So we ended up kind of taking them along the, you know, like I was you know, in my mind through the back door and we kind of hold their hand and walk them through. And by the time we're done, it all becomes the same thing. They're, they're in our sphere and it's all about getting their message out to the right targeted people. And we're using whether it's social media or, in, or email or any of that. But we took them through a very different path. And so instead of saying, I want to buy advertising, they came to us and said, I have a message to get out. 
And so I would say that everything's reversed now. And so now it's that I have a message to get out is the front door now. It's the predominant way we're seeing most of our new clients come in. And the ones that want to buy ads, whether it's mobile apps or banners or whatever, that's becoming a smaller and smaller pool that we work with. Yeah. And traditional media is also shrinking over time. There's the whole Google, Canada, Meta, we're not going to pay you money thing that's going on because they're trying to figure out ways to keep traditional media alive. And I think there is definitely a need for traditional media because I think we need traditional media to keep politics, you know, in check. Mm -hmm. Because without that, without that actual fact checking and not just like, oh, I, I'm a reporter. No, no, no. Like the actual trained people who can go in and do that. It's really important to have that in today's world. Um, but, you know, the money has shifted and the times have shifted. And how has your business shifted along that journey? Walk us through that a little bit about how yeah. you've grown and evolved into that role. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, it's it's constantly moving. And, and, uh, and so what it used to be, you know, even in the mid 2000s, when it was like, I want to buy a banner ad, we realized that we wanted to actually move on uh, even before we sold the company because it became a commodity at that time. All of a sudden we were getting purchase orders over our fax machine, just saying, I want to buy a hundred thousand ads and we know how much you sell them for. Here you go. And realize it's not that fun anymore. It's um, uh, when banners became a commodity, I think things started to shift. And so along the way, a lot of other things have just kind of come along, whether we're looking at social media and how, you know, how companies uh, approach that and, and the development has really been that more and more companies are able to do, I say companies large and small, even individuals can do so much now at their, at their fingertips. You, you personally can go on and you can do your own Facebook marketing. You could, you could, uh, you could promote on Instagram. You could do so much while before you would typically come to a company like ours. And then ad agencies want to reach the LGBT market. They would come to a company like ours and say, Hey, help us, help us figure out like how to navigate this. They do it all themselves. So what we're doing is trying to find, find the path to continue to grow while with all these forces of everybody, number one, being able to do things themselves, agencies want to kind of control things and, and bring it more and more in-house. And there are answers, but it's been, it's been tricky along the way because you're always trying to adapt and figure out like, where is this going? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think right now we also feel like that because I know a lot of people left what is it, Twitter X now? And yeah. There was a mass exodus. And now that that has become a completely different beast than it was before, and it was a beast before. And now people are trying to navigate this new world of like, well, we always thought, at least me, I always kind of thought, oh, well, Facebook was the first one. It's always going to be around now. Twitter was the first. It's always going to be around these dominating powers. And that's now shifting and people are finding these other smaller networks. And I'm, I'm really intrigued as to how that is going to look in the next 10 years. Is it going to yeah. be more separate or is there still going to be, you know, kind of one main area? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I think I think 10 years is so far out that we would, you know, because if it was 10 years ago, we would have said MySpace is going to rule the world. So, you know, and we would have been very wrong. But what it does- Very wrong. <laughs> but it, what it does is it sets, it sets a tone, it sets a trend. You know, you could see the elements of what was Friendster once upon a time. And then what became MySpace and then how Facebook started, you could see that. And there's a kind of a, there's a path, there's a journey as far as these, how these have developed. And then when you really see how video has taken off and how TikTok has really taught Meta and so many others, you know, they've kind of taken a lead and said, hey, hey boys, sit down. This is how you do it. And that's where Instagram Reels came about. And uh, nobody likes to say those things as much. We all know it. It's kind of like, you know, I'm segueing and saying it's the same reason uh, Tinder sounds an awful lot like Grindr. 
and uh, and uh, nobody wants to tip their hat uh, and say, "Hey, Grinder came up with some amazing thing." Nobody does that. They just simply kind of riff off of it and move on and say, "Hey, look at this great thing we created," without ever acknowledging where where they got the idea. Oh, a hundred percent. Everybody's always stealing everybody else's idea. There is no original ideas anymore. There's just new spins on those original ideas, I guess. Yeah. So, um, but just in general, I think what we're going to see is video is going to become more predominant in some way, shape, or form. What, is it going to be a TikTok video or something else? We don't know. And also, I think whatever allows us to be engaged, um, uh, you know, when you see LinkedIn and the success of LinkedIn, it's, be it's because of two things, I would say. It's because you're able to have a two-way relationship or conversation. And um, in addition, you're able to reach second degree contacts, not just first, which which is huge, which means you're reaching friends of friends or you're reaching people that you don't know, but they're kind of like-minded. And um, that allows your messaging to get out there to a far greater audience that you can on Facebook and Instagram, which are not, they're really limited to first degree, your friends and followers. Mm -hmm. So when you start looking at the general trends, as far as what, what works really well now, you'll start to see where things are probably going to continue to morph and grow. Yeah. If you were giving advice to anybody on like what platform you really enjoy right now or what you think you would invest more time in, which platforms and why? Well, that's a tricky question. And I'm going to get myself in a little trouble when I when I answer. I mean, LinkedIn is the is the obvious is a good one, but it's very business to business oriented. But it's uh, I say but but it's very strong. But the strength is those two areas. The, the fact that you know, number one, you could reach you can be connected to 30,000 people, not just 5,000 like on Facebook. So your reach is far greater. And then their algorithm has gotten very good so that number one, you don't have to see a lot of uh, negativity and crap. And and then at the same time, um, you're reaching those secondary connections. You know, you're, you're, you're really reaching out to folks that, uh, that you're not connected to. So you can reach a large volume, you can reach people you're not connected to. And the one that works really well for us, regardless of everything you've said so far, is a Twitter. Um, slash x we don't see we don't engage with hard politics we don't engage with hard religion and you know on a on a professional level we don't engage on the hard porn and what ends up happening is that you you end up with an algorithm of feed that's far more aligned like let's say we have something on twitter called i love gay theater all we see are all the theatrical production companies all around the world promoting themselves and they spend a lot of time and money doing so and we're able to be a part of that and help them get the word out uh, to the LGBT community. So we have value there. And you see the same for film. You see the same in books, uh, sports. You see that, but a lot of folks are talking in the media and say, oh, you know, t t Twitter is this toxic cesspool. And I'm not going to try to debate or tell people, you know, what they're seeing. If, that, if that's what they're seeing, that's their world. But what we're seeing is very different than what we're being told a lot. And it, and, and the, the numbers of people that see our posts and so forth, it's, uh, you know, everything we post usually gets about 750 impressions per post, which is, yeah, it's small in some ways, but it's not bad considering that we're not paying anything. We just, we're, we're just kind of following the strategy and everything gets that. And that means it's the average. So some mm -hmm. things get 10, 20,000 uh, impressions because they do that reaching friends of friends thing that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm well, I'm glad you're having that experience on X. I yeah. don't want to call it that. Um, I'm glad you're having that experience because I know I left the platform because it was just it felt like I was getting the worst ads and the experience was just not enjoyable. And I was just getting all these people and things that I didn't want to be involved with. And I was like, you know yeah. what, I think it's time yeah. to step away. But where I did find a lot of where I didn't think I was going to find it was on LinkedIn. Yeah, and yeah. it started off as very businessy. But I think my default is now becoming LinkedIn because 
it has a lot cleaner of an algorithm. It is a lot more, I don't want to say inspirational, aspirational kind of porn. Um, but there is, I can celebrate friends or people I know who are doing good things in yeah. business and in their life that makes me really happy. And that's kind of a little bit more of what I want. Um, and I think a lot of people just don't use Facebook anymore for that. I think Facebook was too much yeah. of a, here's my whole life. Whereas I like to keep it a little bit more kind of clean and concise. So LinkedIn has definitely become one of my favorite platforms for sure. What's funny is that in the, in the, in the if you ask all the influencers and the, if you ask most people, they still go to Instagram. And, and uh, what's fascinating also to me about Instagram is that like, let's just say every three or four posts that I see on my feed is a sponsored post, but it's just sponsored, but it's not a big brand. It's, it's individuals. A lot of times it's individuals and they're just boost. They're throwing money at their own posts to get more likes or to get more followers. And there's this whole mentality that, you know, first I know it's, it's a happy place for a lot of people. They, they really like being on Instagram above maybe TikTok, but Instagram above all else. And um, the fact that you can just throw 20 or 30 bucks and, and boost your post. And if you have an event, you could do the same. That, that I think is taking a huge percentage of the marketing dollars that we used to see going elsewhere. And I think, I think a lot of money is going into those little individual Instagram boosts. So I'm really curious because I've heard many things from across, across the board of people saying that it's not worth it to do that. That's not really gaining you anything in the long term. And what's the long term strategy? And there are other people who are like, oh, well, no, it works really well. I'm curious, what do you think is more important? Is it follower count or is it engagement and wrapped up into this boosting posts? What are yeah. the important parts for you? I think it's, I think it's, I think engagement is underrated. Um, um, it's a, uh, you know, when if if a brand or any business is going to work with an, an influencer, their first thought is always, "How many followers do you have?" And uh, that's unfortunate because that's also created an environment where there's a, there was even an HBO documentary about it that was fascinating, that really showed how huge the market is to just buy and build up followers at all costs. You know, just that's that's the only metric you're being measured by, and um, that's not right. Uh, the real metric is um, are your are your posts being seen and do people by the right people. So are your posts being seen by the right audience? And do people like these posts? And are they engaged with them? And, um, and that always goes towards Instagram because on Instagram, there's not a whole lot you can do. You can like it and you can comment, but what else do you do? And so like at least on LinkedIn, uh, X and others, at least you can do something more with it. You can click through, learn more. You can share it to your you know, to your audience. There's so much more you can do. And that's where I really go towards that uh, that. Uh, that's that's why I gravitate towards those uh, uh, by themselves. But that's that's kind of the way we see it over here. Yeah. So I'd say engagement is more of an important factor than followers. And I'd have to agree because I've seen some accounts that have sometimes hundreds of thousands of followers, but then they only have like 10 likes or 20 likes on a photo. And yeah. like something's not right here. Like something is disconnecting and not working here. Um, yeah. And then I just go, OK, well, they obviously bought followers that do nothing now. And they just have this number so that they can approach advertisers or approach people and say, oh, I have this giant number. Okay, well, what's that return on investment that you're actually getting from that quote unquote big yeah. number? Yeah. Well, the reality is that you can also have like 100,000 followers on on X and Facebook and you didn't even have to, maybe you didn't even buy them. Maybe you le legitimately got all those followers, but the algorithm, especially on Facebook, you post, nobody's really going to see that post unless there are ways you can actually go into your Facebook page and make it more engaged, but it's very labor intensive. And so they really want you to spend the money to boost your post to, to the to the audience, do that on Facebook and Instagram. They love that that part. So otherwise your post doesn't really get seen with a hundred thousand fan page or business page followers. And the same is on 
X, you know, people will post there, but if they're not engaged at all and they only look at it as a one-way street and you see a lot of those, those 100,000 followers could be very legitimate, but still no one is seeing their posts. And yet they're still continuing just to automate this whole, like, let me throw all my headlines out there and do all this stuff. And it's just a lot of noise on a lot of waste. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I definitely hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it really bothers me that, especially once you have like a business account, that it's just like all of a sudden, I remember when I switched over on Instagram to a business account and I used to get a really good engagement that we're talking a number of years ago, like yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden it just dropped overnight. And I was like, it pissed me off because I knew the only reason they were doing that is because they wanted me to be addicted to how many I was getting before. And they yeah. wanted me to pay them now to reach those same numbers. And it pissed me off. So of course I never spent anything on ads. And also I hear the same thing on TikTok. You know, many influencers are like, never pay for the TikTok ads. Cause once you do, they have you hooked because they know you'll do it again. And yeah. so it's like, if you build organically, that'll do you a lot better, but it's just like, well, what came first chicken or egg situation? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, but it's also not just, it's also turtle, you know, the turtle in the hair situation too. I mean, if you're, if you stay true on a strategy and continually build that up, um, you can build up, you know, you, you grow at a certain percentage every month or every year. So that percentage means that if, you know, 10% of a hundred is only 10 new followers the next month, but you know, 10% of a thousand is a hundred new followers the next month. So if you stick with it, you can really kind of get there. It does take time to do it. I would say the right way. And I would tell you that well over 50% of the folks I would ever talk to do not have that patience to wait. So there, you know, and of course that's okay. You can, you can buy your way into some success or you can find all these other crafty little ways to, to be able to get there. But all of them, it's, it's, everybody's just playing a game. It's like, mm -hmm. if, if you're looking at it that way, and that's why you see so many opinions on all this stuff is because everyone's got a different take on exactly what we're talking about. Do you play the game? Do you get it quickly? Do you, you know, you play a long game and, and build yourself up. And so, but here we are in 20 entering 2024, you can look and you can see individuals and businesses that have played the long game that are in an extremely powerful position now. And, um, and when you see that, you realize that it does work, but you just have to have faith. And also you have to, you know, you stick with it and you just hope that things are going to continue along the path that you've started. Oh, big time. I'm definitely a play the long game kind of a person. I'm very patient, um, mm. but I've seen it pay off before. I, I mean, with YouTube specifically, let's take that one. They want you people to finish, you know, watching and they want to have, there's a, they have all their own algorithms and stuff, but I have long form content. This podcast on there is a long form content and that is a lot higher or a lot harder to rank for. And so I know like my, my, followers have been growing or subscribers have been growing very, very slowly over there. But, you know, I saw the strategy over at the gaming going deeper podcast. When we built that, that was long form content and it took a long time to build, but yeah. now they're upwards of over 10,000, you know, 10,000 viewers or, or subscribers and things continue to grow very consistently for them over there. And I think that it's like, if you're willing to put in the time and to just not give up and to be patient, doing the long form strategy and the long term strategy will pay off in insane dividends in the future. But the mm -hmm. short term is what people want because they want to see the results in order to keep going. 
It's really tricky. Um, but you, uh, you personally, like the long game is built for you because then, you know, especially when you're posting on LinkedIn and any other social media, I see some of your things that you'll post position you as a thought leader as well in the SEO space. And when you stay true to that and you continually spoon, you know, just spoon feed is probably the best word, but when you see content, which means that then you don't ask ever ask the question, how often should I post? Post when you have something to say. If you don't have something to say, don't post, which, you know, sound, makes me sound like a cranky old man. But you are, when you see something that's true to your your niche, you post it, you share it on, on your channels, you're posting your own content, you're engaged with other people. When you do that over time, people start to trust you, but they don't trust you in the short term. And the trust is, a, I'm using this very loosely, but they trust you in that, yeah, you're out there, you're doing SEO, you seem like a really nice guy, you know, you're, you're, in, you're in Toronto, you're in this market, but are you really into, you know, are you really in it for, you know, because what's in it for me is that I want to be able to give you my trust and my time. And, and when I am at that point where I want to hire somebody, I want to know that you're going to be there for me. And um, that's human. That's the human aspect and the human element that I don't think everybody always thinks about. It's the psych psychology of of this. And so short term means nothing when it comes to those things, except a lot of quick, quick wins. But the long term means that after five years, six years of you doing that, people are going to think SEO, Toronto, LGBT business, they're going to come to you as one of their very first people that they come to. Mm -hmm. And that's, but that's playing that long game. And, and yeah. even SEO is a long game. Like oh, yeah. you don't work with somebody less than six to 12 months because it takes that much time for Google to register and for all things to come together. And I, maybe that's what, you know, kind of played into my patience is that it's like, I know, cause I've seen results come in long-term, but to try and I don't want to say convince, but to help people understand that it's just so much better if you do play that long game. Cause even putting out all this content, this short form that goes out there, I'm not, you know, you don't get all the views on TikTok and, you know, things don't always blast off and it can be really uh, hard for people to stick with it because they're like, oh, I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything. You have to think about it as building a body of work. You're building a library and a body of work, just like this podcast. I'm building this content library so that a year from now, two years from now, when somebody comes, they can see all of this content and that will help build that no like trust factor that you were speaking about because they can see, oh, this person does something and sticks with it for a long period of time. I can count on them to show up because I'm seeing them show up right now. Whereas if you do do quick ads and we've all seen those ads on Facebook or Instagram yeah. or wherever, where they're like, buy this thing right now, do this thing. I'll help you get this. It's like, I don't know who you are. And you go to their pages and they kind of have some stuff, but you're like, I don't really know. Like, where's the trust factor there? That I think is what comes more built in with a long-term strategy is the trust factor. How many people have you seen that that were posting like crazy, just flooding any channel you're looking at, just always on? And then like a year, six months or a year later, you're like, all of a sudden you realize, where'd they go? I haven't seen anything from them. And it's funny because they've moved on and you kind of dig around and sometimes they're not even online anymore, but but they come on very strong and that's all you th see and, and they make a strong impression on you. But then when they go away, when people go away, especially in this medium, you don't always notice. They just, they just have faded away. And then over time, you're like, oh, wait, you have a memory of something. Something triggers a memory of what things that they used to do. And it happens to me all the time now where so many influencers or just anybody that's kind of noisy and pushing out there, so many of them, it was a short-term play and then they faded away. It just didn't work for them. And I'm always, I'm always amazed by that. Yeah. The flash in the pan. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm really curious because AI is becoming a big, huge thing. So what are some tips that you have um, yeah. 
when we move into this new era of AI and tech in regards to marketing? I think we're so we're so at the very, very, very beginning of it. And um, I actually love listening. There's only one podcast I actually listen to. It's called Hard Fork. And uh, it's uh, it's all tech. And but it's really good because they loved the whole AI thing with uh, open AI and all the drama that went on there. But so I stay on top of I believe that I stay on top of a lot of those things. But there's so many aspects of how it's going to influence our life. But we it's going to be over the next 10 or 20 years. And um, and it's hard to it's hard to know now. Right now, the one at the one area that everybody's not everybody, but a lot of people have jumped on is content creation. So AI has become a huge tool for for creating articles and email campaigns and all that stuff and you know and it actually does a pretty good job of creating content that resonates that people will uh not even as long as it's edited afterwards you won't even know it was written by an ai and you're seeing the same i think in imagery and in video and how you're able to utilize video in order to be able to create like you're even telling me report clips of a show there's so many different things you can do but it's we're just we're at the very beginning 0.001 percent of what we're going to see and I, I actually can't quite even see myself where this is ultimately going to go. But it's it's a, uh, it's all designed to make our lives far far easy. It's like robots building cars. It's it's going to you know make our lives so easy that we might, we won't have anything to do. Just sit back and wait for those uh, government basic income checks to roll in. Yeah, I'm 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 very interested because it's like the speed at which things are happening. There's this new tool I keep seeing ads for where it's like you basically, it's like a basic sketch and then they can, it can turn it into this whole room perfectly. And I'm like, oh my goodness, if we can already do that and it's been yeah. less than a year that AI, this type of AI has really been worked on. Like, And like you said, I use AI for this podcast because I, uh, even though this, we've talked a lot about social media, I don't love social media. Um, and so I never did short clips until I found this AI program that I insert the video and it does all the cropping, all the text, all the everything for me, picks what it thinks will do really well in regards to what's been said. And I just do a couple of like really simple edits on it. And there, boom, I have like 24 short clips for each episode I record. And it took me like maybe a maximum of a half an hour to put it through the program and then edit each and every one, a half hour max. Yeah. And it is so magical because I wanted those things, but like, I'm not going to sit there for hours and hours and hours editing one short video. I'm like, I got yeah. way too many other things to do. And I think it's really enabling a lot of solo entrepreneurs to be able to do a lot more of this stuff for themselves. Like we were talking about earlier, a lot more people have the power to do these things for themselves now. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. And just, you know, my ism, one of my isms is just that the short form really should be uh, designed to get people excited in, you know, in a short little clip so that they do want to pursue the long form, whether that's just learning more about you from your website or watching a longer video. But I think sometimes people lose sight of that as well. And they just throw a long form video out there and hope that somebody's going to watch 45 minutes or an hour. But there's not a lot of people out in our world that have 45 minutes or an hour, just free time to sit there and say, oh, let's see if this video is going to be interesting or not. Yep. That comes from the no like trust. It's like you have to build that with your audience so that they know when they listen to that long episode, they can trust they're going to get something from it. But that's really hard to give it to them in that first like, oh, listen to the hour and find out. But if you give those short videos, and this is what I'm learning in my business, those short videos give the taster of what's in the episodes. They go, oh, that's actually really interesting. I actually want to hear more about that conversation. That's what's converting people over into that long form content. And I think a lot of people are nervous that 
this younger generation is so addicted to short form and they can't handle long form. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that people will pay attention to the things that truly interest them. Like I know people who will sit and watch something for hours if they're truly interested in it. And so if you can catch them with the short form and convert them over to the long form, that's how I think the magic sweet spot is, is, is to do that. But but there's something in there, which is that how many people or companies create long form video and you see them on YouTube and they have like a 30 second to one minute beginning. That's their, you know, it's a little fluff, just like they have on TV. Um, but that goes against the direction. Like if you, if you learn on TikTok, you have got to catch people's attention on a TikTok video within the first second or two, or they just, you know, or, mill, or even a fraction of a second, or they swipe. So the whole idea about not catching people and making it clear what this video is going to be about at the very, very, very beginning goes completely against what so many traditionalists are doing with their long form videos, with their cute little entry, um, entry into it. And you watch those and you're just like, you know, I get it. That's what they, it makes them happy to create it. But that's, that's a throwback to, that's a throwback to the seventies, the eighties and T and just pure broadcast TV. I literally skipped away from a video on YouTube the other day because the intro was too long. Yeah. I was like, I don't have time. No, Maybe <laughs> you can move around and try to find an entertaining spot, but that's up to them to be able to give you the entertaining spots to start with. So yeah, there's a lot of disconnects. People, people don't just change on a dime, you know, all this stuff even though all the technologies continue to improve and the, and the answers are sitting right in front of us. You could, you could see the answers to what, where to go, what to do, if you just pay a little bit of attention, but a lot of folks, they're more focused on what, you know, what, what they want to do, or like, maybe they're saying, this is, I'm promoting my business and I want to do it my way. And, and I don't have time for all this stuff. So I'm just going to do it based on, you know, you know, and almost all of those people that think that way go on Facebook first and waste a lot of time. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to ask you, if you were to tell people, to pick one thing to do right now, like maybe they're a solo entrepreneur and they want to do something and they're just like, oh, I don't know where to start. What is yeah. one place that you would suggest for them to start? Uh, I would just say, get your uh, get your story. Um, like, even if the story is like a, um, just a nice little short form, like this is what I'm up to this month, or this is something that I'm, you know, what what happens is that, like, let's just say I'm working with a client and not to give you a longer answer for what should be a short one, on a longer one, you know, you're, you're working with somebody. So you're kind of working with, okay, let's introduce folks to you. And then, you know, you kind of work through a thing, but over time, the content and the story that everybody should be doing just right away is you get a flow so that you think of some things that are important or relevant to your client base, to your business. And you write that out. You make a nice little one minute, two minute blog post, video, whatever format you're most comfortable with. And then you get that out there through your distribution channels, your email, your, your LinkedIn and so forth. So coming up with a nice little paragraph or two, and keeping that out there um, on a regular flow, even once a month, I think that's the very most important thing because in that way, people get to know who you are. You're selling your business. You're keeping yourself relevant. You're, you're multi-platform. You're out there on all the different platforms. And it's probably the easiest general thing to do that um, people are doing it, but not not everyone. So it's sounding like consistency. That's part of it. Consistency yeah. on your story is it's, important. Yeah. Because then that way people get to know you again and again and again. And every time it comes up, they're like, okay, it reinforces who you are and what you do. Yeah. You're driving along and all of a sudden, after you've you've done a few of those, you're driving along or you're you're in the shower and all of a sudden you just have this thing like, oh yeah, you start kind of thinking of something. And then all of a sudden that has a, that can have life because it's a new idea that you've taken from things that maybe you've been reading and so forth. And then you distill that into something for that month for your, for your audience, for your client base. 
And if you do that on a regular basis, they actually start to pay attention a lot to those. Uh, and they know what you do for a living. You go to see them at a, at a conference and they're like, you don't have to sit there and catch them up to what you've been up to for the last year. They know because they've been watching your videos. And I'm telling you, this is this is fact. Uh, I didn't think people watch those videos in, in the same way, but I went to a conference recently and they're like, they're ready to, you know, they're like closing the sale. They're like, we know what you do. We want to buy this. And I'm like, oh, fascinating. That's never happened to me before. All right. So keep it consistent and keep it out there for everybody to uh, to hear yeah. your story. This has been magical, Matt. Where can people find out more about you or the work you do and if they want to work with you? Yeah, I think the easiest is just pinkmedia.lgbt. It's about the website. And then we bring Pink Media LGBT together for all of our social media profiles. So at Pink Media LGBT, but from any place they want to find us, um, they should be able to, to navigate, learn. And, and of course, from there, even um, reach us directly if they have any questions. Awesome. Well, I'll also make sure that all those links are in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today, Matt. This has been absolutely special. Thanks. Thanks again. I, I, I'm enjoying my time with you. I can't wait till we connect in the real world soon. Me too. Thanks again for tuning in today. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button wherever you're enjoying today's episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give it a star rating. I'd really appreciate it. The Business Gay Podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Callum Brecken. And if you're looking to get a free SEO website audit, you can head on over to callumbrecken.com forward slash audit and set one up with me or click the link in the show notes. That's it for today. Peace, love, rainbows. Peace, love, rainbows.